What is happening, guys? Welcome to the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. If you're new and just tuning in for the first ever time, I thank you so much. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio, and listen to us wherever you listen to your, your podcast, you can listen to mine. Be sure to check out our website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you'll find information on all of our guests, who's going to be coming on for the next four weeks, and I have this new thing I'd like to call the Blues Review. It's my way of getting a suggestion and giving a suggestion. I'll put up my my uh, top five currently listened to albums, as well as share new music from artists that I love in hopes of uh, getting you hooked on to their music as well. Hence the whole get a suggestion, give a suggestion. Uh, anyways, here's my interview I had with Ivy Ford, incredible female blues power guitarist from the best city in the world, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, very young to be certain as well. Only 27 years old. She just released her uh, third studio album called Club 27, actually on her 27th birthday. Uh, the uh, naming of the album uh, is referring to all the great lives we lost due to um, whether it be drugs or just you know, by fate of God at the age of 27. I mean, you look at the list, there's a an astonishing amount of people, sadly, but um, she's phenomenal, um, and I was very blessed and humbled to have her on. So, here's my interview with Ivy Ford. on with you today hey today's actually been a really chill day um yesterday i spent some time noodling around on my guitar and and whatnot but today's been kind of a lounge all day in my jammies and starting wine hour early you know no (laughs) it's it's been a laid-back day i can't complain (laughs) it's never too early for that um for you guys i mean what's (laughs) What's the past few weeks been like? I mean, for a group like you um, and the guys to be playing as much as you do, this has got to be throwing you guys kind of a curveball, having nothing to do. Yeah, it's definitely I had emailed my guys yesterday morning, I think, or day before just saying, you know, hey, miss you guys just checking in how everyone's doing and fortunately every on, on their end, everyone's, you know, healthy and doing well that way, but the three of us, um, which is I have uh, really Roush is my bass player and Dave Axon is my drummer. We were reminiscing and discussing like how much uh, we, we miss each other. And it really is a, a curveball not to be one playing out as often, as, you know, or at all right now. And two, you know, we're, we're used to, it sounds funny, but we're used to spending more time with each other than shoot with our significant others and family, you know, so it's definitely, been a a new a new uh you know daily life thing but we're we're sticking through there we actually had right before uh both illinois and wisconsin so um i'm actually i go back and forth between kenosha wisconsin and waukegan illinois they're right on a on, on the they're like 20 minutes away from each other 
So Illinois had actually gone on their, you know, kind of lockdown stay in place about two weeks before Kenosha did, or Wisconsin, I should say. And that week was the week that I was releasing or I should say throwing my release party for my most recent album called Club 27. So it was kind of a last minute effort to, you know, make, make lemonade basically out of, out of lemons. And that last kind of hurrah, me and my band did a live stream, uh, via, the Kenosha Creative Space, which is a art and music venue in downtown Kenosha. And I don't know if maybe being able to do that helped kind of kick off the fact that, you know, everything is kind of upside down. A lot of venues were closing and, and businesses were having, you know, the whole curbside pickup and things like that, you know. Um, but it was nice because it was very well received. And I think it was great timing as far as setting an example of how to go about getting your music out there, meaning like for other musicians that are in the same predicament of, you know, being not being able to gig, which is, you know, not being able to work. Um, so I, I'm grateful that we were able to kind of get that last hoorah in before all this um, shutdown business was was happening. But even so, it is it's definitely it's different. It's you know, it's it's different. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, so, yeah. I, I, uh... I, I totally get it. That's for sure. I mean, that was actually leading me right into the next kind of question I had. Um, like you mentioned, you just released uh, Club 27, uh, your new album, yeah. um, actually on, like you said, your 27th birthday. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that album and kind of the concept behind that? Yeah, so the it's... Uh, I can't say, I forget when I actually like solidified the idea. I had been writing material, um, shortly after I had recorded and released my, my last album, which was Harvesting My Roots. And so right after I got off of that, I started writing some stuff and just, j- just in general form. I really didn't have any, any direction yet. And then as my, my 27th birthday, you know, I was thinking about approaching, I was like, well, you know, it is kind of a big one. Uh, I'm a musician. You know what? There's actually this whole concept of the whole 27 club, which is, you know, a lot of our uh, musical and rock star greats that all, you know, passed away tragically from either freakish, freakish accidents or unintended, you know, uh, self-induced sabotaging. Um, And it just, it, it kind of just became, it, it formed itself in a very, organic way and it was you know i, I kind of thought about that whole concept and i'm already you know a huge Jimi hendrix fan and janis joplin and amy winehouse which is a lot of the um a lot of the inspiration that came uh, for the album so you know that that wasn't hard to do and that was like a no-brainer and then the more i kind of thought about it the more it just seemed right and i just took the idea and went with it so it's definitely a pointed concept album of uh, the meaning that all the songs on there are either referenced by whether the subject matter in the lyrics or the musical style. I tried to 
show influences from Jimi Hendrix, Joplin, uh, Whitehouse, and and so on and so forth. And and then naturally, because you know, blues is is my bread and butter, and it is very you know close to me both in in my career and on a on a personal level. You know, I I felt. I don't want to say I felt some obligation to like keep some blues influence there because it definitely wasn't, I didn't, I didn't do it because I had to. It just, again, it, it felt right. That's where I, the first, the first track on Club 27 is called Keep on Blues. It's an all, all original uh, song that I wrote just like the rest of them. And that one is inspired by the great Robert Johnson, who is known as uh, you know, the greatest and first and greatest blues player of his time. And, and, you know, he has a lot of folklore and, and, and fascinating stories in his short life. And ironically, I think it was in the last two years, there was, what was it? Netflix came out with a short documentary on him. And in that documentary, uh, very recently, their historians were able to find some sort of birth and death certificate. And when they did the math, it was that he uh, passed away at 27 too, which that was a new discovery. So when I had seen that, I said, oh, well, that's just that. I mean, of course, of course that is. Of course he, of course he passed away at 27. Not only is he the, you know, godfather and creator of, you know, a lot of blues as we know it now, but in some ways he kicked off that whole 27 club concept. And then I was able to all wrap it up and tie in my, my blues background and, and in my blues career and stuff too. So again, like I said, it, the the whole album process and things like that, it, it came really organically. And in some ways it was very, very cathartic for me as a musician, as a, you know, I like, I like to think that I'm fairly well known as, you know, considering how, you know, how, how young I am and things like that. So it was really a, a labor of love and, and it was a really nice, nice project to kind of, self-reflect on and, and feel one with the music or one with, uh, you know, one with that type of type of theme, I guess. So, um, so yeah, all, all the, all the music on there, it's all original work that I wrote, but it is definitely influenced either by song or subject matter of a handful of musicians that, that passed away at 27, thus being a part of that 27 club, so to speak. Yeah. And it's actually kind of funny to be quite frank with you. You literally, mm-hmm. ver- in verbatim, you read the entire follow-up question. Just, like <laughs> I, I, I literally oh. wrote out. I said, I absolutely love track one off that album. Keep on the blues. This is literally what came after. I love the traditional old school blues yeah. vibe. And I said, I heard a lot of John Lee Hooker and Robert Johnson in that track. And it was going to oh. be, was there a particular yeah. artist who inspired the track? Well, he answered that one already. But uh, that was that was perfect. That was perfect. Um, obviously, I nailed it. I got it right. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, great minds think alike, or right? insane That's what minds I'm thinking. But you yeah, know, that too. and insanity is a very fine line. So it's okay. It's all good. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I get it. But um, I'm happy I got that one right for sure. Um, oh yeah, and that's you know, and it's it's really cool, like the fact that you. Um, say that and that was kind of in in your cross so to speak i really think that's a very how do you say very great example of how transcendent music is and and musicians can be or people that even if they don't necessarily play you know play an instrument or, or sing or stuff like that but they are fans of certain types of music how 
how um, how fluid that that language is and how that really connects people and um and getting back to like with the whole the whole album itself was a really it was a cool experience for me personally as a musician and and just as a person because with um with keep on blues uh people that listen to it i actually i sampled about i don't know maybe 10 seconds of robert johnson's uh crossroads and i and i and you know thank thank god for modern technology we were able to splice the recording on where it faded out of robert johnson's original recording of crossroads and then i dubbed over and you know tried to emulate i'm not going to say um i don't want to say copy verbatim but emulate that style and as a guitar player it forced me to kind of you know, get outside of my comfort zone and, and force me to learn a bit, a little bit more about technique and a, a different vein of, of blues as, as well. Cause I've, I mean, Robert Johnson is one of my favorite, um, uh, favorite recording artists to listen to and Delta blues in general is like, that's the type of blues that I listen to a lot at home, but I never really play a whole lot of that out or perform it myself just cause just never have. So again, it was nice. You know, because it was almost like necessity is is the mother of invention. So it forced me to kind of, you know, work on my chops as a as a guitar player as well, which is always good. You know, so, yeah. Now, not only is it music with you, but full time musician and mom, where do you find this time and balance to kind of write, record or also being a mom? It's got to be tough. It's nuts. It's crazy. People think sex, drugs, and rock and roll are wacky. No. Um, you know, I have to say, hands down, I'm very fortunate that, and this, you know, this goes all the way back to when I was a kid. Um, I was raised by my mommy and my brother, uh, were raised in a, by, by a single mom and stuff like that. And she is a creative. She, she's a visual artist, um, is very, is, is very creative in all asset, all aspects from sewing to painting to, uh, making jewelry and things like that. So, and then she, but she was a bartender for 30 years. That's how she raised her, you know, me and my brother, two kids. So point being is that, um, she has never been one to harp on being conventional. Therefore, she was always very supportive of, for me, it was my music for my brother. He's, he, he's an artist. He's a freelance graphic designer and artist, self-taught and things like that. Um, so she's always been very supportive of, of that. And, you know, it's one of those things as long as find what makes you happy and be good at it and make it work for you. So that kind of mindset has always been in, in, in engraved in my brain. And then, uh, you know, from when I first started out in music till now, she's always been my biggest fan and, and biggest supporter. And then when I basically extended my family with having my daughter, she's always been whatever you need. Ivy, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. So she, my mom is very, very hands on and very, very helpful when it comes to helping me balance out my, you know, my, my music career and playing mom. She's my extra set of hands and me and my mom have a great mother daughter friendship relationship we've always been very close and that helps and then um my daughter's father as well you know we're we're on good terms as well and he he has a conventional job you know nine to five during the week so um you know it's it's a nice balance 
that way. And that helps a lot. Um, and then aside from that, you know, just, just squeezing in the time to play guitar and, and, and write music and things like that when I can. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate too that like with my bandmates and stuff, we've been together for a long time and, and, you know, my, my, my band guys, they're married and have families as well. So it's nice because we all have that understanding and, and, and patience for when, you know, family matters come up or, you know, there's been times when we go to rehearsal at, at my drummer's house and he's like, you know, Vivian, my daughter, Vivian, she's always, she's more than welcome to come, come hang out or you and your mom and, and things like that, you know, so that helps a lot having that, that, that quote unquote family or tribe, like, you know, we, me and my friends and family say, um, and that's, that, that's a huge help. Um, you know, it's still, it still is not, not easy. There's plenty of nights, you know, when I come home late or when I was coming home late from a gig and then all of a sudden Viv decides she wants to wake up at three in the morning and mommy's ready to go to bed because she's been working all night, but Vivian's ready to party because she's, she's two, she's a toddler. That's what it is. Um, and then you just got to roll with the punches and, you know, make it, make it work. Um, it, so it's, it's definitely not easy, but it's, it's worth it. And, you you'd be surprised about what what you can do when when you have to you know so that's, yeah that's totally right and now I always ask people for the blues Ivy I mean I if I feel like the blues is like once you tell someone you play the blues they look at you like what's wrong with you type of thing I don't know if if you kind of what what I mean is like the what was it about the blues that got you tied in because when people ask me why I like the blues say. Cause I like it. I love it. It's, it's what makes right. me feel happy. And they, they automatically associate right. sadness with the blues. What was it for you? What drew you in? So I, it's interesting cause it, I, I forget about this. Um, and then I look back and I realize, oh yeah, that did happen. So, um, a little, a little history on, on my upbringing and, and family background. So like I said, I, uh, majority of my childhood and upbringing was, was from my mom as, as a, as a single parent, but my, my father is actually was a professional musician and he, he's originally from, uh, Gary, Indiana, which actually there's a, a great family band, the Kinsey Report, who is from Gary as, as well. And so my dad was a professional musician. He actually, he was with some big contracts out in Vegas and things like that as a bass player and, and singer. And, um, and I was, when I was little, my parents were still together and I, you know, I was raised around them and was always a part of music that way. Um, and just like, and it, well, and this is going to sound so stereotypical or cliche, but it's okay. Cause I'm, I'm an ethnic person. Uh, my, my, my dad, my dad's black. He's a black guy. So, you know, soul, R&B, blues, roots music. It just is, is what it is. And, and that way it's in, in, in my DNA. So, as a young kid, I was brought up on, on that type of music. And, um, and, and my mom, not that she's a singer by any means, but she used to, she, she used to sing songs to me that she, that she'd make up, um, that were based off of blues riffs just cause she, she was a music fan. Uh, and my mom's a Norwegian Italian. And, um, and, uh, so it was always in, in that respect, blues and roots and soul music 
was always kind of ingrained in me, even in a sub subconscious way. And then as a teenager, well, actually younger than that, I was about 12 or 13. um, My mom worked at this bar in North Chicago, Illinois, where the, they had a house band there that played on Sundays for, for soul food Sundays. And they played blues and classic stuff and things like that. And, and one day my, my mom said, I, you know, get dressed up. I'm going to bring you to work with me. One day you need to see this band. So, and they were called the real deal. The drummer and manager, his name was Steve, Steve Rainey, a fantastic, fantastic musician, fantastic person. Um, he, he passed away a, a few years ago, but he really kind of took me under his wing, let me get up on stage and sing with the band. And, and like I said, I was about 12 or 13 at the time. So that was a pocket of my life where I, I think the only songs I knew were, Chain of Fools, Mustang Sally, and Sweet Home Chicago. And then as I got older, graduated from high school, I'd go to open jams. And, you know, with open jams, most of the songs that you jam to are, are blues. So, you know, that, that, that blues genre always kind of followed me. And I, I just always liked it. Like you said, people say, you know, what makes you like it? And you're like, it just, it, I like it. It makes, it makes me happy. Um, so. Uh, so that, that was that. And then when I really got more serious where I was playing it, you know, more often and professionally, it, it made me realize, um, you know, to, to, to dive a little deeper in, in different musicians that, that I dug like Buddy Guy and Freddie King and, and, and whatnot. And I've, I've come to my own conclusion that one of the biggest Biggest reasons and, and, and what makes blues music and roots music and even Americana, which you can go into old country as well with that. You know, it's, it's a social commentary. It's a musical documentary of real life. People can relate to it. Um, and if you want to get into the history of, of, of blues music and, and roots music, it's, it's, it's slave music. It's plantation music. It was, it was used as a form of, of a community, of communication for slaves that were working um the fields and things like that to communicate between one another without you know letting the plantation owners and 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 slave masters you know catch on so that's so important it's it's language you know um and then as it's an evolved over time and 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 things like that and has has crossed uh racial barriers and 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 whatnot at the end of the day it's real it's based off of real life experiences that sure you may have you may have um um bb king saying i got a sweet little angel knows how to spread her rings but i i i can bet you twenty dollars that joe joe blow in the back says i had i had an angel of mine i know exactly what he's talking about you know and you know that's a very that's that's one of many um one of many examples but it's i think why it's so important and why it makes people so i'm not even gonna say just happy but it it makes people relate to one another because it's a very humane type of of art form you know people can relate to it and one of the best one of the best ways to get through something say you're going through a hard time or you're going through something sad is to talk about it get it off your chest well, that's what blues music does. So you may be singing about something that's sad, but that doesn't mean that you're sad. You're working through it. You're getting it off your chest and, and, and making you happier at, at the end of the day, you know. Um, or on the flip side, you're feeling really good and shoot, you just want to sing and talk about it, you know. So I think, 
Yeah, I, I think that that's what makes it so so appealing and so kindred to folks, whether or not you play it, whether or not you listen to it, whether or not you sing it. It just it, it, it has a certain effect on people that is so human that I think is and it's so and it's so deeply rooted, you know, it, 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 the foundation of it is so strong. You can't take that away. So, yeah. And a funny thing is you said um, that you mentioned about blues being sad and stuff like this. Buddy Guy told, tells a story where um, he there was these people in his hotel that, uh, you know, saw him and goes, Buddy, why do you play sad music? And he goes, I'm not trying to make you sad. So Buddy gave him two tickets. That couple went to the show that night. And after the show, they went up to Buddy and said, Buddy, you didn't play one sad song. And they're like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make you sad, but it's that stigma attached to the, the genre itself. Um, right. Which is, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's like it's like a universal thing. They say the blues are like, oh, what's going on with him? Is he all right? It's like, yeah, he's fine. Right. He just loves the blues. But uh, you just keeping it real. Just keep it 100. Right. Well, and that's like I I'm very proud to say and I'm very humbled that, um, you know, aside from the, 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 the current situation, when I perform and, and gig, you know, I, I'm so honored that I, I am somewhat of a household name at, at Buddy Guys Legends, his club there and in Chicago and the blues, blues world. Um, but a lot of my bread and butter when I play different clubs and venues, they are not blues clubs. They are not, um, you know, they're, they're not used to that. So, um, you know, me and my guys will be setting up to do a gig and people ask me, Oh, what kind of music do you play? And I say blues and they do the same thing. Oh, okay. You know, and then halfway through the night, they'll say, we go, I go, I take a break and they say, I never knew I liked blues. We were going to leave, but we're going to get another drink and stay. Cause this is so, I never knew, I never knew that I enjoyed it so much. You know, and I think that's, I know for me as, as an artist and a musician, that's one of the biggest freaking compliments that, that you, you can get, meaning changing someone's mind about something where they, when they already had premeditated views and opinions, you know, and it's, it's so, it's so rewarding, you know, someone, someone basically underestimating you. And then you say, but, you know, just, just give me five minutes. Hold on. Let me just, just listen to this. And then you completely change their, their their view on the matter i it's it's a beautiful thing it really is it's pretty epic if, if yeah. i say so myself <laughs> oh no, I, I i feel you on that and the funny thing is about uh you know when people ask you about what did you play jimmy nick when he came to the club arcada he ran into that same thing one night where he had a gig oh. that we actually booked him to play out in uh the wild west town but somehow yeah. something happened there where that gig fell through. So they pushed it to the Club Arcada. Well, upstairs that night, we had Rosie and the Rivet scheduled. So Rosie mm-hmm. got pushed to one set, and then Jimmy was pushed to the other okay. set. After Rosie, everyone's like, oh, this is great. Jimmy came in. Everyone started leaving. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we don't like the booze. I said, stay in there. So they stayed Just in there. So that was the best exactly. night ever. I said, give it a shot. Right. Yep. Oh yeah. I love it. I, I, I tell my mom all the time, like, I love it when people think, Oh, well, we'll see how it goes. And I'm like, buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be a wild ride. I I get, and I get, I tell people like, maybe I'm just nuts or like, that's my way of thrill seeking. Cause I love having that challenge where as in, as a performer, I love having that challenge where people may think one thing of me. And then, you know, I, I surprise them, which, which comes a lot. Um, 
for me for two two different reasons. One, um, and and me and J- Jimmy Nick's a great great friend of mine. Him and I always jash each other because in our case we're you know we're considered young bloods. We're young kids, you know. So people are like, "What the hell do you know about?" whatever. Um, so there's that being a young person in, in blues or whatever and trying to be taken seriously. And then for me being a, uh, being a woman and I don't even know, like, it don't, it don't, it really don't bother me. Cause I could, I could give two, two cares. Right. Um, but it is, I'm not, how do you say it doesn't bother me, but it doesn't mean I'm not oblivious to it. So, I mean, I've had people, um, he actually, this is funny. A, a good, good friend of mine. He, he's an artist, and 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 uh, we became really good friends earlier this year. And the first time he had seen me perform, he saw me load in. And he goes, "I just thought you were like with one of the band guys. I didn't know you were like the show." And he goes, "I he goes, I hate to sound, I hate to sound like an idiot, but really, I didn't think that you would be the singer and the guitar player. And then wait, you're the band leader too, you know? Um, and that's totally, it's a woman." It, it is, it is. And it doesn't, I get tickled by it because again, I don't take it personally. And for whatever reason, that is the, mm, the assumption that most people have. Um, and I, you know, it is what it is. It, it's all right. It drives me to, to do even better. Cause be like, Oh yeah, you, you thought one thing, but I'm going to show you what the real deal is, you know? Right. And um, you kind of led me in that one, uh, again, which is, is perfect. You were great with this. I love it. It's going right through. So then, the, the one thing I had to ask. This is crazy. That's right. She didn't. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe I just really put this together. The question would have been, um, for, for you when you first started playing, um, there's guys that I've talked to, like Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Um, when he's yeah. in the Arcada, because I work at the theater, um, who right. said that when they started playing the blues, they felt that the expectation of them, you know, playing live the blues, he felt that it was relatively lower um, because of the fact that what does this young kid know about the blues? So he's going into that situation. Well, now I'll tell you. It was I'll lower. Take, what was it right, for you? Is it fire? Just- I'll, t- I'll take it a step. I'll take it a step farther. Just, just for you know, since we're just talking, we got time um, for like Kenny and Shepard at the end. Shoot, even for like Jimmy Nick, I'll even play. I'm sure it went from not only being, oh, who's this young kid? What do they know about the blues? Or even more so, who's this young white kid? What they know about the blues? Exactly. It, it, it's there. Said. It's there. Yeah, and um, and that's funny because. Um, they, well, to answer your question, I, a lot of times I get, doesn't happen so much now just because in the last year or two, I've had a, a lot of opportunity and, and I've had a lot of, uh, positive response to my music that I write and when I perform. So, you know, it's not as relevant as often now. Um, but definitely when I first started out, Ex- expectations were low and I've had people straight up come and tell me after they've seen me perform you know I don't want to be mean but I didn't really expect much out of you verbatim that's what they've said and and I say I said oh you know that's okay I said no harm no foul um so there's that and then as far as the 
you know, the, the race card thing. So like I said, my mom is, she was, she was born in the States, but she was raised, her father was Norwegian. And so she was raised half her life in Norway and things like that. So she's, she's, she's a white gal. Okay. So my mom's white, my, my dad's black. And depending on the season, and my fellow biracial people will have a, a, a joke about this. Depending on the season, in the summertime, I tan real well. I look ethnic. I look like a woman of color. In the wintertime, I tend to pale out. And then uh, when I first was on the scene, I used to bleach uh, bleach my hair blonde like at a James. So I would get people that they had no idea that I was anything other than just white. And I've and not that that's a bad thing. I'm just I'm just keeping it real. I've had Guys come up to me, um, when I performed and, 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 uh, they'll come up to me and say, man, you, you sure have a whole lot of soul for a little white girl. And I'm not saying that you can't have soul if you're white or otherwise, but just the point being is that it's funny how people are so quick to judge, you know, a book by its cover. Um, and, and I've been, luckily I've never had any really heavily negative judgment. Um, it's been more just, ignorance um that harmless ignorance in my case although i know for a lot of different uh musicians and 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 people before me and and stuff like that you know it's been a little bit dicier for them in 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 this industry whether it's because of what they look like the color of their skin um whether they're a a woman or not um so in that case i'm very grateful that you know i can kind of uh, slough it off and, and joke about it and not let it get to me but i know that's out there um, but definitely I've, I've, you know, initially people don't expect much from me. One being how young I am and then two being a woman and then, oh, well you hold a guitar, but you probably don't play it very well or play it up to their, whatever their, you know, expectations are. But then when I get done with the show, then they're like, oh, I take it all back. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's okay. You know? Um, and, uh, it is funny. I've had a few times earlier this year where at the end of the night, you know, when it's time to square up at the end of the night or hand of the business, uh, a venue has gone to one of my bandmates, whether it be my bass player, Willie, or, or my drummer, Dave, and they go to them to basically handle the business and God love my fellas. They, you know, they go, Oh no, we don't, we're not the boss. You gotta go talk to her. She, you gotta do what she says, you know? So that helps. Um, and that's a real positive that when it comes to my home turf and kind of my own, my own team they're very very respectful and appreciative and and supportive of of me um as i as i am to them you know i i don't ask him to do or or, or play anywhere that i don't plan on giving my 100 or 110 percent either which um is a good good way to conduct business if you want players to be playing with you as long as as long as they have um Willie's been playing with me for about 10 years now since I first started my own band. And then, uh, Dave, my drummer, he, he's been playing with me solid for about three years. But then before that, we had worked together with some side projects and stuff too. So, you know, that, that work rapport is real nice and, and it helps a lot and it helps to have those people in your corner. You know, unfortunately, when you do run into some ignorant people or some dicey situations where, you know, as I say, uh, Pardon my friend, some shit could pop off, you know. So <laughs> it's good. It's good to know people. It's good to have people in your corner. Absolutely. Now the age difference. Do anyone ever give you a tough time about that? Do they ask you what are those? Those your is that your dad up there? Is that the 
I mean, you guys got a big, yeah. you're like two, two, uh, two, uh, two of the vets, and then you got uh, 27 year old Ivy Ford. Everyone ever give you a tough time about that? I wouldn't say they give me a tough time, like where it's a big negative. It's right. definitely make for some funny conversations. So exactly. my bass player, Willie, he will be 70 this year. And I say that with freaking love because I'm like, Willie's going to outlive us all because he's a true OG um, in it for the long haul and has more swag than any any other man, young or old, on earth, um, and 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 we always joke because he gets all the girls younger. Like women, literally, they just come up and talk to him. He don't even say anything, and they're just all wow. over him. It's wild. Um, no and then as a musician, as a musician, you know, he's been he's been playing bass since I think he was a teenager. So, you know, he he's been he's been around the block a handful of times he knows what's up and and uh, he has a lot of experience under his belt so he's right in the pocket where he needs to be and and then as a person his character the 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 level of integrity is probably one of the best if not the the best i know um and then my drummer dave he is uh he'll be 58 or is 58 um and again he ain't no kid he 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 knows what's up and and then there's me. So it is quite the Motley crew, I guess, if you want to dissect it that way. I will say it is uh, a pleasant surprise that a lot of more often than not, my audience or people that, you know, see us play or whatnot, they don't even think about the age thing or don't even question it because they're not worried about it. They just like the magic and the mojo that's going on between us you know, on stage and, and whatnot. So, so that's cool. Um, but I definitely, we did, this was recent. I think one of our last gigs, someone asked me, they said, well, which one is your husband? I said, Oh no, 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 no. We don't get down like that. That's why we're such good bandmates. We don't, we don't cross that line, you know, not saying that you can't, you know, do business with your loved one. Obviously you got, you know, Derek trucks and Susan Tedeschi. They're, they're a living example of how, of how that works. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it does come up in conversation sometimes if people want to be real nosy and they'll be like, so wait, how old are all y'all? And wait, you're this young and they're that old. And I would have never guessed. And a lot of times people think that I'm a lot older than I am, you know, which, they, which has worked in my favor, you know, when I was 12 or 13 and going in to bars, um, people thought I was 18, 19, 20, 21, and, and it worked in my favor. Um, and they say, it's not because you look old, there's just something about you. And I said, well, thank you. I take it as a compliment because it means that you don't think I'm just a dumb kid. So thanks. <laughs> I think, I think you nailed it though there because I think, um, to, to be playing the blues at a young age too, it takes, I think, there's a mannerism level. I think you, you, you have, I don't know if you garner, you have a little bit more, I think people have a little bit more respect for someone who appreciates something like that. I don't know. I think it's just maybe a young kid playing the blues. I think there's a respect level. Like they, I don't know, like you're on a different level. Like you're on a high level at that young of an age, being able to play something like that and walk into a club that honestly, as 13 going into clubs like that nowadays, I don't even think you could do that. Your mom, no, would no. you say your mom yeah, think, really helped you with that yeah. job, getting you in through the door? I mean, you look at places like Legends, um, and oh, Greg Guy says it all the time. When Legends, yeah. he, he, he didn't 
when when uh, he turned 21, honest to God, Greg talks about it all the time. That was the first time he ever saw Buddy play. He walked in the room and he cried. He goes, Dad, I didn't know you do this. You're a Buddy guy. And he goes, still to this day, every time I get on stage, I freak out because, you know, yeah, I know it's my dad. I love my dad, but it's Buddy guy. It took me 21 years to figure out what he did. And it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's like, too, I'm always a big, because of that, and I, I feel very forward, I, I think I, well, and I think, well, um, uh, how, how old are you? You're in your 20s, right? Uh, I'll be 24, April 27. Okay, yeah, so I think our generation was like the last, if we got lucky, to be able to sneak in some places like that where, and, you know, get away with it. Um, so I'm very, I'm very grateful, um, for that because now you know one it's hard to see live blues if you're under 21 two it's hard to see see live music unless you happen to be at like a community festival or things like that where it is all ages but my point is that it's in general live music and that that uh type of substance of a craft is very hard to experience as as a young person if you are under 21 and i think it's such a shame that that's the case because that's like when people ask me you know how is it if you play for younger people if you have a younger audience and and i say um i actually i was last time me and my band were on uh wgn uh, uh right before steve uh sanders had retired we were on their midday fix and he had asked me something about being a young person and things like that and I, and I said, you know, I said, we don't give our young people enough credit because, and by young people, I mean anything from, you know, 25 to five years old, they can hear older music and things like that. And they really dig it. They really understand it. They have a much more, I think, open mind and pure opinion about good music. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of young folks that listen to only the top 40 of today, which you know, I, I listen to it a little. I listen to the radio here and there, um, myself, but, um, yeah, when, when I've played really trendy clubs where, you know, the average person that's going in there is barely 21 and they're making me feel like an old person or like a dork, they dig it. You know, um, we play at uh, a club in Chicago called Untitled, Untitled Supper Club, and they're used to having, more edgy cover bands and things like that in the big room. And when I had my first gig there in the big cabaret room, the booker said, you know, Hey, you can do some blues, but you know, can you mix it up with more modern stuff? I said, of course we'll do that. Well, I, you know, I did a few more modern tunes and I had quote unquote kids, meaning in their twenties come up to me and they said, Hey, we looked you up on Facebook or we looked you up on YouTube and the way you play the blues, can you do some of the stuff that you normally do? meaning they requested quote unquote old music. So um I I I think that That's as awesome. a society we need yeah. You're telling me I was like, oh you you want me to play Money Waters? Okay, you know. Um so as a as a society and stuff like that, I think we need to give our, our younger generation and by younger generation I mean myself as well more credit because we do we do um dig it. And I'm very, uh, in, in relation to, to Buddy Guy and his club, I'm very, very proud to say, and it took me a couple of years after the fact to even be privy to this. My kickstart to my 
career in, in the Chicago circuit and kind of making it big time. Like, this is it that I'm, I'm playing the blues for a living. Um, I had gotten invited to do an opening set down at, at Legends. I had just turned 21 myself. And a couple of weeks prior, I had gone down there to see Joe Moss um, through a friend of a friend. And Joe let me sit in. I did a couple numbers. And, and, and as you know, but for people that don't know, Buddy Guy streams all their, their, and records all their performances. So long story short, they had me on video. I get a call from Buddy Guy's Legends saying, hi, this is Ivy Ford. I'm from Buddy Guy's Legends. And here I was like, you know, almost like pooping my pants out of uh, nervousness. Um, like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And long story short, they said, hey, do you have a band? I said, yeah. They said, well, do you have this date open? We need an opener, uh, one hour set. And I said, yeah, I'm there. And this is before I knew about Buddy Guy's residency in January. Okay. So they told me you're playing, you know, we need you to play January 11th. This was 2015, January 11th. Um, I said, okay. And then before I hang up the phone, I said, wait, 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 who am I opening up for? Like a, like a dummy, you know, talk about being a dork. And, um, they said, oh, you're open up for buddy. And, you know, I had like died and gone, gone to heaven. So I ended up that night. It, it, it was incredible. And it's, and, and it's, in itself, the, 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 the club was packed, standing room only. I had a lot of people that, that had known me from high school and, and growing up would come out to support. And anyway, uh, turns out that was the first and only time they had, it was a Sunday night show. That was the first and only time they had opened up buddy guys legends to people under 21 for an evening show because of me being 21. So they were, it was like their, um, their efforts to kind of keep the blues alive for, for a younger generation. And if I'm not mistaken, they had an earlier set with Fernando Jones, who he is a big sponsor and organize, uh, organizer for the, oh gosh, was it, uh, uh, blue, oh God, it's blues and the kids or keeping the blues alive with kids. It, it out of Chicago, um, uh, like a nonprofit organization where he goes around and, and does clinics and programs for, for inner city kids to, to bring the blues basically to them, you know? Um, so that was pretty epic. Like I said, it, it took me a while. It took me a couple of years afterward to realize that that was, was what had happened. Um, but, but yeah, so that, that was really cool. And then since then I, I've participated, me and my band, we've participated in a few, uh, blues in the schools program where we go to elementary uh, schools and high schools. And that's exactly what we do. We do 45 minute programs and, and we play the blues blues for them. And I must admit, I ain't trying to throw shade at like my patron fans, but them kindergarten through second graders are some of the best audiences I've ever played for, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a good thing. I'm very, very honored to, to, to be a part of it, I guess. Yeah, but, no, uh, but yeah. Makes sense. Now, um, as a woman of the blues, do you personally feel like being a woman playing in a male-dominated genre uh, like the blues, do you feel like that brings any added pressure to conform to an anti-conformist mold? So, short answer, yes. Um, does it bother me? No. Does it, does it motivate me to basically show up and show out? Yes. So, um, it definitely, it definitely is, because most people, when they think 
when they think of the blues, they think of some old black man playing an out-of-tune guitar on some front porch. And then if they say, well, if a woman that wants to be in the blues, all she's good for is singing and hog calling, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm making a very limited, stereotypical, oh, get it. you know, characterization of it. So it definitely is a thing. It definitely exists. As far as how I respond to that, quite frankly, I, I, I don't care. Um, I, oh, yeah, I was just have I. Yeah, no, ha- have I, have I run into some situations where I've been, um, challenged because I'm a, a woman? Oh, sure. Definitely. Um, but again, with my personality, it's one of those, if you tell me I can't do something, it makes me want to do it even more, you know? Um, Absolutely. which in, which in return, it just makes you a better, better person, which I think people should have that mindset in whatever they do, not just music, not just uh, whatever you want to do. If someone tells you no, but you feel strong about it, man, go ahead and do it. Don't, don't let them, don't let them pee in your Cheerios, you know, don't let, don't let anyone dim your light. And, uh, and, and that's like my, when I did my, my first original blues album, the, the title track, was time to shine. And that's what it all talked about. The hook is, you know, time to shine. Don't let anyone do you dim, meaning don't let anyone dim your, dim your light regardless. You know, sometimes it's easier said than done because people can be real cruel or in business, um, especially a man to woman, uh, uh, correspondence. There, there's, I've, I have dealt with my fair share of situations where I, uh, who I was working with or who wanted to hire me or things like that was a man that tried to, you know, intimidate me or tell me what to do. And they thought they could get away with it because, uh, one, my age, two, I'm a woman, three, and I play guitar. You know, they get a little threatened by that sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't keep me from, from doing what I'm doing, you know? Um, and it's, and, and I'm not saying to, for any other women that are out there that, that, you know, will be listening to this. I don't want to say that to scare them. Like, Hey, yeah, it's out there. The boogeyman's out there. So stay away. On the contrary, the boogeyman's out there. So just scare them first. You know, <laughs> that that's all. Um, and I'm grateful that those situations have been far and few between, but, but it is, it, it does happen. I've had my fair share, but it's okay. It's all right. You know, you'll get, you'll get through it. You'll survive. Yeah, you will. Yeah, I mean, it's just mm. it's just life. You you just get through it eventually. Um, it takes time, but uh, it happens. The, the, when the what does thing, it do? You make stronger. There you go. The the funny mm-hmm. thing is, I've noticed on a lot of your stuff. I've been listening to a lot of your music. Is the resounding oh. message of? I feel like there's a lot of connections um, with your daughter. Actually, on some of the messages in the songs, like. Um, little miss, I think a little miss, little one. Little I think time to shine, hey, little. You, there's a lot of. <laughs> I'm trying to piece this all together. I feel like these songs, you're trying to give her something to be like, hey, you're a girl, but you're mighty, you're strong, you could do whatever the hell you want. Is that kind of been yeah. your goal to kind of leave her with something like this? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've always been, but before I had a a, a daughter of my own and. And was a mom. Um, I've always wanted to be inspirational and positive, realistic, 
you know, I don't want to just be blowing smoke. Um, but, uh, always try to be positive and whatever, whatever I do. Um, and a lot of the first, my goals was to basically be an example for a young person, regardless, you know, man, woman, whatever. Um, and then when I had my daughter, it was, maybe it was hormonal. I don't know. (laughs) Um, definitely a shift change in my focus to, uh, to set an example. And, you know, in some ways I hope, you know, moving forward uh, years and decades from now, when I'm, you know, long and gone, something that I can leave for my daughter to be like, yeah, that's, that's my mom. I'm, I'm proud of her. She, and, and not only, not only, you know, did she leave these, these words of wisdom, um, or, or positive messages for me personally, but I'm proud to say that I can say that's my mom that, you know, try to set that example for anyone, you know, first being to, to girls and women, just cause it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. So that, you know, comes first. Um, but then even broader than that for, for anyone that can take away something positive, but, but yes, no, definitely a lot of my, a lot of my music, and especially, especially and particularly Little Miss Little One, that was wholeheartedly in, inspired by and written for my daughter. Absolutely. So you, you hit it on the head. You got it. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I think it's awesome. You're doing too. It's stuff. Yeah. Now, you have to ask. I feel like every show or everything I've seen you do with your electric guitar, I know you have an acoustic, but. I, the, I swear, like, do you play another guitar besides Buddy Guy's signature? I mean, it's a great guitar, but I've never seen you with that guitar. When did you get that guitar, and has it become, like, your number one? Ha-ha! <laughs> so, I do have I do have other guitars. I don't have as many um, guitars as, as some guitar players have, but I must admit I have accumulated quite a collection. Um, before I had the polka dot guitar... I was playing a, what was I playing? I was playing a Epiphone 339 semi hollow body. I don't know if you're familiar. It, it kind of looks like Fred, it kind of looks like Freddie King's guitar. Um, but it's a little smaller in, in body. And that was a gift from my harmonica player at the time, who's my best friend. He was, he was, I didn't have bridesmaids in my wedding. I had my brother and him stand up. So like, that's how close we are. And so that's what I used to play. I still got it. It's my baby. It's the first, first brand new guitar I ever owned. You know, it still had the stickers on it and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the made in China and, and whatnot. And, um, it's funny because with that guitar, the red Epiphone, the first time I ever saw Buddy Guy at his club, I had, I had, it was, it was funny because in hindsight, it was earlier in the year that I didn't know then that that same year I would be opening up for Buddy Guy. Okay. So, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, first time I saw Buddy Guy at his club play, it was for his birthday there. And I had brought that Epiphone guitar with me and I thought, well, who knows? You never know what might happen. So, I ended up running to the car and bringing it into the club when Buddy was signing CDs. And I slapped my, that guitar on the counter. I said, you know, Mr. Guy, would you sign this? And he goes, well, do you play it? Which at that time, I only knew a few chords. But I was like, yeah, I play it, you know. Um, so he signed it then. And that was my uh, go-to guitar, the semi Hollow electric, which I still, that's my bread and butter. That's one of my, my well, 
it was one of my preferences. And then when I was pregnant, um, I played all through my pregnancy. I mean, I, my last gig was at Navy Pier and two weeks later I had my daughter. So, um, I had bought me while I was pregnant, I had bought me a cheap Squire Strat because my Epiphone no longer fit. It was my belly was too big to, to play to play it live. So that was my first inkling in going into the Stratocaster world. And um and then when I was married and I got married, I got the polka dot buddy guy guitar as a wedding gift. I don't know much exactly about where it came from. I don't ask because you know I don't I don't need to know. Um but I will say that it is an it's an authentic, it's all one piece registered with Fender as as a you know, uh buddy guy polka dot guitar and so when i got that i was just so tickled um to play it and it's a fantastic guitar you know it it looks cool but the craftsmanship and stuff on it 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 plays just just as good as it looks um so i never went back to the epiphone i just stuck with the 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 polka dot strat um and it just it just kind of works you know so it's one of those if it ain't if it ain't broke don't fix it now when I play at home or noodle around, um, I have a few cheap acoustics or whatnot, uh, but I still, I play the polka dot guitar at home when I do get the chance in between diaper changes and nap time, you know? Um, so, so yeah, although that acoustic or acoustic electric guitar that, um, I play, I use it for slide. That is actually, it's, it was the first of its kind. That was made and the guy who made it, he's actually a violin and, and cello luthier and he had never made a guitar before. And he used to hang out at a bar that I used to play out in, in Palatine, Illinois. And he is, um, kind of a friend of a friend. And anyway, I'd be hanging at the bar and he goes, Hey, Ivy, I'm working on this, this thing. And it was this guitar that he was making. So when he finished it, he goes, Hey, Ivy, I finished the guitar. Do you mind testing it out and see and telling me if it's, you know, if it's anything good, you know, cause for all I know, it's a piece of crap. So I, I tested it out. I said, no, you know, Paul, it, the guy's name is Paul. I said, it, uh, it, it plays nice. And he goes, well, why don't you hang on to it for a while? And I said, oh, uh, okay. And then a couple months later, I said, well, are you going to sell it? And he goes, well, I, I probably should because I don't even play it. I don't even know how to tune the strings and stuff. So, well, why don't you just pay me what I what it took me to make it? So I forget. I think I paid like 150 bucks or something for it. Insane. And so it's funny because now that's one of my most notorious guitars, the acoustic electric that has the F F holes in it. It's on my um cover of my Harvesting My Roots album and Club 27. So. And I, and I play that one at home too. So I guess to answer your question, I do have other guitars. I do play them sometimes, sometimes at home, but for the most part, I play my polka dot strat and, uh, and, uh, and that, and that, um, uh, what do you call it? The acoustic electric is my go-to, you know, it's like a good pair of shoes once you break them in. Exactly. Why, uh, why switch with what's working? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, don't mess Just with like, a good thing now. Good thing. Right? <laughs> no, I, I got you on that one. I mean, 
I said, I play with a, a, a squire. And I, I told Jimmy Nick this. He goes, dude, you're not supposed to tell anybody. He said, I don't care. I don't need to break the bank. I got a squire. I wanted it to make it like a Steve Ray Vaughn guitar. I loaded it with three Texas oh. specials. I uh, you oh, know, did my yeah. thing, and it's fine. Light, but it's fine. I know it's, it's you know, you got to do, do what uh, do what works. You can't break the bank. But, no, uh, absolutely not. Well, that's like I, guess I have some uh, musician friends of mine that don't don't play full time or professionally, and they got like three, four thousand dollar Gretsch guitars, and they want to show kidding. me at the me, and I'm like, dude, clearly you don't play out at all. And let me tell you why: one, three, four thousand dollar guitar. I would be afraid to play it because I would be afraid to hurt it. Second of all, I would be afraid to take it out nowhere because I'd be afraid someone would want to steal it. So it's not very functional. It's not very conducive for, uh, for my career. And, and I, I'm a firm believer as, as a lot of, um, a lot of great musicians that I think are amazing that, you know, it, it, it's not all about the toys. It's how you play it. If, if you're a good musician or decent, you could make, you know, you can make the cheapest or, or a piece of crap sound decent, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so just because something's flashy and expensive, it don't, it don't mean squat, quite honestly. That's why I see it. But I, I get, I get it. So I, if you look at yeah. the three studio albums, four, I guess, including the holiday one and then the live yeah. album, when you look back at, you know, what you've accomplished already, would there be anything that you would change? Um, let me think, you know, I guess some people may like, some may, some people may think, oh, we could always go back and do things differently. I'm very grateful that this process, um, like it's take, like, the process that I've gone through to do, you know, whether it's been on my albums and on my live performance great opportunities, whether it's been a really big festival or, you know, different people that I've met and it wouldn't change anything because, you know, it's, it's those experiences, good or bad are, you know, what has helped shape me today as a musician, as a businesswoman, as, as a hustler or whatever you want, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I probably wouldn't, change anything even in the times where you know we're a little little harsh or a little you know oh my gosh what am I gonna do I you know I don't know if I'm gonna make it I I wouldn't change them because you know it's especially it's it's those times in your life and again whatever you may do it's those hard experiences that that one um they help shape your integrity because they make you humble you know and it, it, it makes, it teaches you not to take things for granted. And if you're smart enough to learn, whether it's from a mistake or from, um, a tight spot that you thought you could never get out of, it teaches you to appreciate the things that you have, which I think it makes for a great foundation, um, to keep you driven and, and motivated as a person and in whatever goals you want to achieve, you know, um, it's like I, I tell people two things. One, because a lot of times we're, we're taught, and especially we're taught if it, if we have something that makes us happy that's unconventional, um, we're taught that it's not okay. So I, um, I was very lucky when I went to school, like grade school, high school, things like that. I, um, the district that I, that I was, 
I went to public school, but it was a pretty um, affluent public school. I was not an affluent student, but I was able to, um, you know, get a good education and things like that. Um, however, I, you know, with that being said, a lot of people, they're surprised when I, when I, I tell them a little feedback or a little inside of, of my upbringing of, um, of some humble beginnings. So, you know, there was times, whether it was in high school or as a young adult, where, you know, I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to almost be a little homeless here or there or to kind of, you know, pinch pennies and whatnot. So, and I'm grateful for that because now when I, achieve something it, it, it comes from hard work and perseverance and quite honestly there's nothing more satisfying than to see the direct fruits of your labor you know um and and with that you know i'm a, a strong advocate for people to not be afraid of what makes them happy and 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 what makes them who they are so um you know, when I, when I went to high school, I was raised, or not from my mom, but just, you know, my peers, you got good grades in high school, so that way you could get into a good college, rack up a ton of debt to try and get a decent enough job to help pay off that debt to then maybe get married, have kids, and live the American dream. And a lot of people that I went to high school with and things like that, they're either, you know, very unhappy or just okay, or they're still trying to figure out what makes them happy because they were, you know, they were brought up in, in, uh, in a household that wasn't very supportive of what they wanted to do, you know? So I'm a, a I'm a firm believer and, and advocate and supporter of, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do what makes you happy and you're not a jerk, you know, don't be a jerk, be kind about it, you know? Um, and that's, and that's okay. And I definitely, again, I like, I like to prove the fact that I'm a sheer example of, I get, I get playing the game, meaning that whole getting good grades, get a good job, that kind of programming that us as a society, um, thinks that that's the epitome of success and happiness, which, you know, there's, there's, I think there's a lot more people out there that downright, that's not, that's not what makes them happy. You know, um, and that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to do something unconventional, something different. You know, just don't be a jerk and just, you know, work, work your hardest and, you know, do what makes you happy. Find that inner joy and, and make it work for you, whatever it may be. Um, and I didn't, I didn't start out making my living as a musician. I had day jobs. I had side stuff, which I did at the time because it allowed me to fulfill my, my musical need. You know, for me, it's music. For someone else, it may be art or someone else that maybe they're into computers or gaming or whatever it may be, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't change anything. Um, because it, it, it helped shaped what, you know, who and, and, and what I am now. And I'm very grateful for the experiences that I've had. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that uh, I've been able to share what makes me happy with other people that clearly has made them happy or it catches their interest. You know, just, j just like yourself, when you had asked me to do this interview, I'm like, I'm so honored that you thought so highly of me. Like, hey, I want to talk to you, you know.
Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it keeps people being, being human and, and humble, which is, which are necessities. It's kind of like that saying, when you feel you can't learn anymore, you've done yourself a great, you know, disservice because you can, you can never stop learning. You can never stop improving yourself. Um, and then on the extreme side of that, if you have to start throwing shade or making other people look bad to make yourself feel better, then you have to go back to the drawing board and, and work on you, (laughs) you know? So yeah. There, that's that's my PSA on that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Well, Ivy, it's been a pleasure. The Chicago Blues kitten herself, Ivy Ford, I really, really appreciate you doing this. Oh, thank you. Me too. Like I said, I'm, I'm so honored. I love doing stuff like this where I can kind of, you know, shoot the breeze and, and, and talk with people. And, and like yourself, you know, you're, you're a guitar player too. So it's great to be with like-minded people and, you know, share some time especially in these times because we're kind of having to uh, grab it at straws to exercise a different, different way to, to nurture what makes us happy. So thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That was my interview with Ivy Ford. I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. Hey, like I said at the start of the show, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget, you can listen to this show wherever you listen to your podcast. You can listen to this one. Be sure to check out our website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you'll find information on all of our guests, and you'll be able to see who we're going to be having on for the next four weeks. It's incredible. I also got this new thing called the Blues Review. It's a spot on our site where I uh, do this get a suggestion, give a suggestion type thing. I'll put up my five uh, top most listened to blues albums as of late, and I'll put up some uh, new music links to uh, some artists that I like a lot who are getting ready to put out a new album and or singles. So that's up there as well. Hope everyone stays safe. God bless. We'll see you next week.